You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, Connection Church. Everybody's doing well this morning. To our most responsible people of Bullock County who don't live in a hole and didn't know to turn their clocks forward last night. So thank you for being here. If you came at 10, don't raise your hand. We did have a few people coming at the end of the service that I kind of snickered at under my breath, trying to play it off. It's really early. Thought I'd get here and be spiritual. Just prepare my heart for worship, giving an extra hour to do that. So when the Pope folks come in at 12, let's all not all turn around and laugh, all right? So I think next year, this Sunday, we'll have church at 10 and 12 and deal with it, right? So thank you for being responsible. Um, second week of everything changed, just like the time. When the time changed, everything changed. I don't know about for you yesterday. I don't know what it is about um, the time changing, but I can not really remember when it was a good thing to spring forward other than getting a little bit of daylight, but it seems like after 40, it takes about three days to get over losing one hour. I don't know about about you guys, but holy moly. Coach softball day yesterday, finished up about 10. You're feeling like this is not a bad, you know, time. And then you think, oh gosh, it's 11. You know, it just kind of hits you and everything changes again, right? Oh my gosh. So kind of weighing on us and everybody's kind of dragging a little bit, but we're going to try to jump into this. We're in the book of Acts still, and we're going through here and talking about everything changing. We're in the um, ninth chapter of Acts with a very familiar story for those of you who are familiar with, with the text and with the Bible, maybe raised in church or been in church a long time. You've probably heard this story of the road to Damascus and the conversion of a man once named Saul to Paul. And it's his conversion experience of becoming a Christian, someone who was not a Christian in any way, shape, or form, was actually out to kill Christians and did so, persecuted, killed Christians, and did a lot of it, and then everything changed for him. So look with me to the book of Acts, beginning uh, there in chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, and we'll read together. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judah on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. 
This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for the day. Thankful, God, that you are still in the business of working miracles, that you're still in the business of saving souls in any way, shape, or form that you deem necessary. We thank you for that. We thank you for that miracle of taking us from death to life, God. It's our prayer today, Lord, as we, as we go through these, this text and we talk through the scriptures, Lord, I pray that those who are here, all of us, are able to hear that those scales from our eyes may be lifted up. The scales that are on our heart and our ears, things that are keeping us from hearing your word, God, will be lifted. So Lord, plunder around in our hearts today. Break us where we need to be broken. Mend us where we need to be mended. In your son's name we pray, amen. So today we're gonna talk about, to begin with, the condition of Paul's heart and, and who he was as a man. Paul is a, a pretty evil guy at this point before he meets Jesus. So the text says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he would arrest them and take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was a bad dude. And I don't know how many of you have ever known a really bad dude. And maybe if you've never known one, you, you are the bad dude. I'm not really sure. But we've all come across bad dudes in our days. And I don't know how many of you remember a guy named Mike Singletary. I know Mike Singletary. We've got a few. They're old enough to remember. Mike Singletary played for the Chicago Bears. And there was something about Mike Singletary. When he put on a helmet... Something in his eyes changed. And when you look at him straight on, it's like his eyes got closer together. And, they, and they, what was written on his eyes was, I would rather eat you than hit you. He was the meanest individual when it came to playing defense for the Bears. He just ripped people's heads off. He was an amazing athlete. But he was vicious. He would just get after it. And there are people in our lives that, you know, hopefully they play a sport and can channel that energy, but there's some really bad dudes in the world today. And Paul was one of those dudes, when it came to Christians, they were scared to death of him. He was so, so bad at going out, finding these Christians. He wanted to do away with Christianity. He would mock them. He would persecute them. He would imprison them. He would kill them. And this was his life. This was his calling. This was what he was supposed to do according to him. 
But Luke, who is the writer of Acts, he's a physician, was a physician, and he's the writer of Acts. And he gives us this brief history of Paul's attitude towards those of the way or the way of Christ. He shows just how much Paul wanted to stamp out Christianity. So meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out these murderous threats. He's filled with violence against them. The, the verb used here is defined as ravaging a body by a wild beast. That was the acts that Paul was carrying out on Christians, ravaging the body by a wild beast. That's Saul and who he was in this story pre-Jesus, before he met Jesus. Paul was merciless in his pursuit of Christians. It didn't matter to Paul. He wanted to wipe them all out. And Luke stresses men or women. It didn't matter. Even enemies in war show mercy to, to women and children, but not Paul. He wanted them all dead. And Paul writes about this letter later in several of his letters in the New Testament. He says, for I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. In Timothy, he writes, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorant in disbelief. And then in Acts, the chapter prior to this, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So, so Paul was a really bad dude, and we've got the rest of the story here, which is really neat. We know that, that Saul, formerly Saul, now Paul, gets radically saved by Jesus Christ. So we know how the story ends, but understanding how bad of a guy he was is very important. Because many scholars believe this persecution began by Paul himself. He was a self-appointed inquisitor of, of all of these Christians. He was going to go out and get them. He was responsible for the vicious persecution of Christians. Try to stomp out Christianity is, is kind of like smashing jello with a sledgehammer. The more you mash it, the further it goes. It gets everywhere. So, so bring about that persecution and it goes everywhere. So many found their, their way 150 miles to the north of Jerusalem in the great city of Damascus. And Paul still wasn't satisfied by their scattering. So he goes to the chief priest and he gets permission. And he gets this written document, asks for a written document so that he can go there round these guys up, these disciples up, bring them back to Jerusalem in chains, bind them and either imprison them or kill them. He would make this Jesus nonsense stop once and for all. He wanted it to end, bring this stuff to an end. But something happened, something happened on his way to Damascus that Paul really didn't intend to happen. Paul met Jesus Christ, the very one he was persecuting. How many of us have a story of, of never intending to meet Jesus? How many of us have a story where we go through life and we're thinking, you know, things are pretty good, not, not too bad here, and we never really intend on meeting Jesus, and then whammo, something happens and we meet Jesus? Or how many of us kind of dabble in the faith? We kind of know what it is, we have some understanding of what it is, but we just kind of dabble in it and stay under the radar. 
You know, part of my story is, is like that, being raised in the church. My mom played the organ for 16 years of my life where not only was I there on Sundays, but I had to be on Saturday afternoon for her to practice the organ. Every time the doors were open, we were in church. I was raised in it constantly, constantly, constantly. Grandfather was a pastor. It just permeates through our family. So it wasn't like a choice that I had. It was just the next decision that you make. So that's the way life was for me. So I went off to college and, and decided to enjoy that some. And, and then it ended up back here at Georgia Southern to finish undergrad. When I got here, I had the opportunity to, you know, again, sort of dabbling in things, but was hanging out at First Baptist. And somebody asked if I wanted to go on a winter retreat. And the catch was, you can go for free and ski. That's all they had to say. I didn't hear anything else after that. What other responsibilities could there be? Well, as a 20-something-year-old, why don't you drive the van of seventh-grade boys? What could possibly go wrong with that, right? Do you know how many donuts you can do with a van on an icy parking lot with seventh-grade boys in it? I'm not going to tell you, but quite a few. Now that I did that, I watched another guy do that on that trip. But it was a lot of fun and and I went there with, with the full intent of just kind of getting by and enjoying the trip and, and just having fun and skiing. And now I was put in charge of, of teaching a Bible study to these seventh graders. You know, we get there and I'm thinking, well, I'm just trying to kind of wing this. I'm not really prepared for it. Anybody could teach a Bible study to seventh graders. It's no big deal, right? And, you know, about 15, 20 days prior to that, I was celebrating New Year's on Bourbon Street where everything is wholesome and there's no sin abounding, right? And I was a part of the culture rather than uh, uh, you know, watching the culture, something I'm not proud of, but that was right on the verge of that. So I go there and open up the book, reading this thing. Okay, I gotta get ready for this Bible study. And the first Bible study was on commitment. Thank you, God, you're funny, right? Just right in my face, right off the bat, I'm thinking, oh gosh, maybe I can teach this whole thing without saying the word and not feeling guilty about it. So I get through this Bible study and afterwards, God just hit me right between the eyes and I find myself sitting in the snow up against the bus tire, crying like a school child, just weeping. And God saying to me, what are you doing? What do you think you, you think you can just do whatever you want to do and, and dabble in this? It's get in or get out. That's what I clearly heard from God that day. Be a part of what I'm doing. Surrender your life to me or don't. Don't just dabble in this because you're causing people to stumble and I won't have it. It kind of scared me. There's some fear there and some reverent fear that I had that put me on a path to really seeking out God's guidance in my life that changed it forever at that point. So today I want to talk to you about God's grace. Now, about the grace that Paul received during this conversion. As we look at verse 3, he says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I think it's so interesting that he called him Lord, that Saul, even somebody who persecuted Jesus, he still knew who he was, and he recognized his voice, and he, and he answered him with his name, Lord. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, Jesus says. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Here we see Paul's conversion. 
There's some important things I want to talk to you about, four different things about this grace. The first one is that grace is sudden. It is sudden. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light came. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And as we share our faith, we get frustrated sometimes, don't we? We share our faith and we may be praying fervently about someone. We want them to hear it. We want them, their lives to be changed and nothing happens when we think nothing's happening. We're not always privy to the fruit that comes from our prayers and it gets frustrating sometimes. And because of Paul's conversion, we, we can have the confidence that God still does miracles and God still saves people. And sometimes he saves them suddenly. It happened this morning right here at nine o'clock. Somebody went from death to life suddenly, just out of nowhere, felt like, ah, I've got to do this. It was awesome. We, we need to be faithful in our pursuit of the lost and, and knowing that God is still saving people. You don't have to be here long to know that God is moving in this church, that God is, is, is really anointed this place, not individuals, but this church as a body to draw people into himself. And it's such a wonderful experience. Last Sunday alone, um, all across three campuses, 13 people, 13 people went from death to life. Is that not awesome? It is so awesome. Last weekend, Awake My Soul with our teenagers. Had hundreds of teenagers here for the weekend. It was, it was, it was amazing, the things that they learned and the commitments they made. God is still in the business of doing miracles. You know, some people claim, well, you know, I, I've never really had a Damascus Road experience. My, my story is kind of like yours. I was raised in church and just made that decision or I went to a class and, and made that decision. It was the next step for me to take. But let me tell you something and be very clear. For God to send his son down and die for us, and then for us to be able to go from death to life, from death to eternal life, is a Damascus Road experience. For anyone, anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter what kind of life you lived before that. So I can't stand when I hear people say that because it's miraculous for everyone to come into that relationship with Christ. So right now, I want you to watch this video of a friend of mine and a friend of many of yours about his story. I was lustful, then everything changed. Life before Christ um, was fine, really. Um, you know, for 40 years, I've, I lived for the things of this world. You know, I did good in school. I went to college, uh, got married, uh, procured gainful employment, became bona fide, had two amazing children, and uh, you know, just acquired stuff. You know, houses to put your stuff, cars to transport your stuff, just stuff. And uh, so really life was fine, you know, before Christ, but uh, you know, or so I thought. Yeah, it was really after 17 years of marriage, you know, I was 40 years old when I was driving to work one night and, and I gave my life to Christ. Um, and three months later, uh, my wife asked me for a divorce. So, you know, at that point, you know, I had given my life to Christ because I, I, I offered my life to him. And so I was asking him, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, and that answer I got immediately. Um, you know, he told me to love, continue to love no matter what goes on. So, so God had answered that one, you know, what do I need to do at this point going through a divorce, you know, to, to continue to love. But I still had a question 
and, and I was having a lot of trouble finding the answer to, which was, how do you know that you're saved? And for two and a half years, I kept asking that question. And I, I asked myself that question because how can you be saved when you continue in you know, that sin, that besetting sin that, that just keeps coming back and back? That besetting sin for me was lust. Um, gentlemen, boys, if you think that pornography, lust, cannot get a hold of you, you are wrong. I mean, that is something that can so easily take over your life and you don't even know it. It can happen slowly and build up. And as soon as you look at women, all women, as objects, you've got a problem. Every woman is a child of God. Every woman, every single woman here is a daughter of our Lord and Savior. You know, God had finally opened my eyes at, at this point in my life. He finally opened my eyes, you know, because uh, he said Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, and then Romans 8 and 11. Um, he says that same mighty power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that's in me. And, and you know, it's nothing that I can do. It's nothing that we can do. Once I realize that, you know, I, I, I know that I got that power, that, that besetting sin has no power over me. And that is just the most incredible. That is what has changed. Amen. Clap. So the grace of Jesus is sudden. It is sudden. The second thing that the grace of Jesus is unexpected. It's unexpected. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias in verse 10. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done in, to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. What's Christ telling us about Paul's conversion? What's he talking to us about here? He's saying that our Lord can save anyone. When the Lord saves the chief of sinners, which Paul calls himself, he can save anyone. That gives us hope when we talk about the, the lives that we are living, when we live out our faith, that people are watching what we do and God's still in the business of saving. When we share our faith with everyone and do it with anticipation that Christ is actually working in their lives, God is doing business. If we're obedient and sharing our faith with them, expecting God to do something, God is going to do something. It's not up to us at that point. God has the power to do it, not us. We're the responsible, obedient ones who are sharing the faith. That's what he calls us to do. And we should have confidence in that. And he can save anybody. If he can save Paul, if he can save me, if he can save you, he can save anybody. But we also see another side of this story here. I don't know how many of you can relate to Ananias here and his reluctance, but I know that I can. Because the news of Saul of Tarshish had spread through all of, all of Jerusalem. 
So you have this man who's coming here who is vicious, like one who is a beast who ravages a body. That word had gotten out. Somebody tweeted it, and it had gotten to Damascus, right? They knew, probably a little slower than a tweet, maybe a tablet, not one you plug in, but one somebody chiseled in there, or just by word and the message had just kept coming that Paul's coming that way, Paul's coming that way, look out, this guy is crazy, and he's coming to round up the disciples. He's coming to round up those who are talking about this Christ. So what would you do? I mean, if I'm Ananias and Jesus comes to me and, you know, starts to speak to me and asks me to do this, I'm thinking, well, Jesus, well, I got you here. Can we just reason a little bit? This guy wants to kill me, Jesus. Maybe you could maybe, why don't you talk to him again if you've already talked to him? Maybe you could like bind his hands and feet and then I could go to him and touch him. You want me to put my hands on this man? He persecutes Christians, Jesus. He had to be reluctant. He sounds reluctant in the text. Have you ever, has God ever asked you to do something where that reluctance came? Has he ever asked you and called on you to speak to that person at work, to speak to that person in your family where you just thought, maybe that was, maybe that was something else. Maybe that was just the wind. Maybe I didn't hear him quite right. Let me turn my radio up, right? Maybe run a little bit faster. Maybe that wasn't God calling. We know when God says something to us because it's not comfortable most of the time. Ananias had good reason not to go because Saul of Tarshish would try to execute him. He wanted to kill him. But Ananias had a better reason to go, and that is because God commanded it. God said to go, and he feared God rather than man. And that's where we should live. I pray we all fear God rather than man because that's what all this everything changed moment's about. Our everything changed moment comes from the obedience that we give to Jesus Christ. When we obey God, everything changes. It can't help but change. Everything changes when we obey God. The third thing is grace was planned. This grace was planned Look at verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You remember so, so much in the scripture of how much Paul did suffer and how he was in prison and most all the books he wrote and letters he wrote was from prison. But my belief is this. God will, will not allow for his people to continually to be persecuted without intervening. It happens throughout scripture. If we decide we're going to stand in the face of God and open ridicule and disdain and cause others to suffer, God will intervene with all of his might and power. I strongly believe that. I don't know how, but sometimes, in some ways, in most all times that we see it in scripture, I think even today he does. But it never says that Paul, Jesus doesn't say, Paul, why are you persecuting my people? Paul, why are you persecuting that guy over there? Why are you persecuting the disciples? Why are you persecuting my church? Jesus doesn't ask that question. He says, why are you persecuting me? He makes it personal. It's between he and Jesus. 
He wants Paul to hear very straightforward. When you persecute these others, you persecute me. What stands out in this passage is the sovereign grace of Christ. That conversion is the total work of God. God's in charge of that. He did not ask for Paul's permission to save him. And in God's good pleasure and for his glory, God overwhelmed Saul of Tarshish with this blinding glory. And Saul was radically saved. Jesus had chosen Paul long before Paul chose Jesus. And Paul writes about it in Galatians 1. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, Saul of Tarshish did not resist God's eternal decree and the grace God extended to him through the mercy to save him. Some Christians don't really like the term irresistible grace. And there's people a lot smarter than me that have been fighting over this for centuries. And I don't solve the problem here today. I promise you that. Because it seems to imply that people do not make a voluntary, willing choice in responding to the gospel. It's true that God does not save a person against their will. But the fact is that God changes a person's will. I think that's where God intervenes. He, he transforms them completely. So that question, that argument is this, and I don't want us to get hung up on it, but the question is always, was it Paul's willingness or was it the God's sovereignty? And the answer is yes. It's yes. It's both of those. He gives us the freedom to choose him and his sovereign grace saves us. It's both and. And it says it very clearly in Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put on a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So at high noon on the road to Damascus, Christ switched hearts on Paul. I love that picture. He switched hearts on Paul and he did it so drastically and so quickly, he didn't know what hit him. He changed his heart. He was given everything needed to be converted. He was given a new heart. He was given a new faith to believe in. But even as radical as it was, I don't believe it happened right then. He changed his heart, but it was his will that was being changed. He was still blind and couldn't talk for three days. And I think that was the time where God was, was working in his life and Jesus was continuing to talk to him. He was talking to him and closed his mouth so he couldn't talk back, which is a lot of times what we need to do is shut up and listen, right? And that's what he was doing with Paul. He had him in a place of vulnerability. He couldn't even walk. His friends had to carry him the rest of the way to Damascus because he was struck down so low. Jesus came down and said, enough, enough of this. You will not continue this. So I know that Paul learned about conversion because he talks about it in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the crazy cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What a great message. It is by grace we are saved. So Christ had prepared many things for Paul to do. Many things were set out in front of Paul to come in as the worst person on the earth to now the writer of most all of the New Testament. Wow, what a conversion. As Paul approached the city of Damascus, he was planning to wipe out the name of Christ. That was his agenda for that time. I'm going here and I'm going to end this Jesus nonsense. He was on a mission to do away with all the Christians who carried the name of Christ. Our Lord had a different mission for Paul. The fourth and final thing is that grace had a purpose and grace has a purpose for each one of us today. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. So Paul's mission would be the exact opposite of what he intended to do. The exact opposite. Christ would transform Saul, the persecutor of the church, into the greatest missionary who ever walked. It is for us that Saul of Tarsus was converted. And I want you to take this very personally. I want you to take it very personally. God had us in view when he chose Paul and saved him by grace. He had each one of us in mind when that happened. First Timothy 1, Paul writes here, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect, listen, patience. His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. How thankful are you that God is patient with us? Oh my gosh. I am so thankful that God is patient with me and has been patient with me. I'm so thankful that he was patient with Paul. There's so many times in my life when I think back to, to things that I've done and things that I've thought and things that I've said where, where God should have just gone poof and just taken me out. It seems like it would have been easier for God. But, but if that was God's MO, if that was his method, this would be a very empty room, wouldn't it? Amen. Because he should take all of us out because we're not deserving of the grace that he extends to us. Thank God we don't have to earn it. And thank God he gives us, gives himself patience to deal with us because we're ignorant. We're slow to learn. If you believe in Jesus for eternal life or if you yet, or if you've yet to believe in him for eternal life, Paul's conversion is for your sake and for my sake. It's to make this immense suffering vivid for you and for me. That Jesus was lifted up on a cross and splayed out for everyone to see and mocked and ridiculed and died this gruesome death is a very vivid image we should see and understand and cry about 
and understand the long suffering that he went through was for this purpose, was for this purpose as you sit in this room today, that was the purpose for it. As God radically continues to transform lives. And you may be sitting here today and and some of the things that you're dealing with may be lust. And maybe that's your Damascus Road experience today is boom, that hits you right between the eyes when that video was shown. Or maybe it's a number of other sins that we walk into this room with and we think, you know, I really need to do something about this. Then do it. In those things today, let those things go. Let Jesus transform your life and do what he wants to do in and through you. But he has to work in you first to be able to work through you to someone else. That's what he wants to do so graciously and with care and with concern for you. Paul had been set apart for God since he was born, and so have you. God, I think, wants desperately. He's a jealous God. He's so jealous for our love and for our relationship with him. Jealous not because he needs us for anything, but he wants so much for us. As many of you who are parents want so much for your kids, can you imagine the God of the universe who breathed life into you, how much he wants for me and you? I don't think we can fathom that. But that's why Paul and his conversion is this brilliant demonstration, a brilliant demonstration of Jesus' long suffering. And that's what he offers to you and to me today. So as you sit here right now, in this room right now, as many people are in here, I know God is speaking to you. God transformed some lives in the earlier service and I know he will continue to do that because when two or more gather that that God is present and his spirit abounds and is moving in this room And, and maybe today is the day just like Paul that you entered into this place and that bright light is shining as it is in my eyes right now we crank up the lights if we need to have a Damascus Road experience but we're not gonna play that game because God is more powerful than any light there is And he's working in this place. And for you sitting right here, it may be that you say, you know what? I have got to make this decision. I have got to surrender my life to Christ. I've got to to make this decision to be able to move forward for my family, for myself, for my job, for everything. But most importantly, to have a relationship with him, which transforms all of those things. That's the beauty of it. A simple decision to follow him and allow everything else to be blessed because of it. Doesn't make it perfect, but it changes everything. So right here, right now, if that's the decision that you need to make today, I just want you to simply lift your hand straight up in the air so we can celebrate with you. We don't have any secrets around here or eyes closed. We want to celebrate with you. So right where you are, lift your hand up high so we can see it, so we can celebrate with you. Maybe you're sitting here today and thinking through some of those things we just talked about, about those sins, about the things that are gnawing at you. You've made that next step. You took that next step. You were saved. You're baptized. Maybe you weren't baptized and that's your next step to take. 
Thankfully, we're going to be doing that on Easter Sunday, two weeks from today. It's going to be awesome. A great time to take that next step. But maybe your next step is just to let some of this stuff go. Or you need help letting this stuff go. So as we close the service today, what I want to do is, is offer you something. Our prayer team is, is always willing to pray with people and they're so gifted in discerning. And I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. And they're going to be standing up here at the front. And if anybody needs prayer specifically for something and you want to come to them, just approach them up here in the front. And they'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you just want to use this and, and this is our altar every Sunday. And please feel free to come forward and, and pray this morning by yourself, just you and God. Or seated where, right where you are. Let's, let's start off as we prepare for Easter and that celebration. What a wonderful way to prepare by allowing God to work in your life and change and transform your heart to get some of these things right. So that's what we're gonna do for just a few minutes and then I'll close. So as God leads you, come on down. God, you are a God who is still who is still present with us in the business of doing miracles of changing lives and God it's my prayer today in the just by the power of your Holy Spirit 
as you are, are continuing to work in many hearts and lives in here, and as I know that there are many, many secrets, secrets that are in the hearts of so many of us that we bring into this room and, and we want to walk out with because they're harmful, they're embarrassing, and they could change everything if they come out. But God, as those things eat away at us, they're causing emotional pain and even physical pain in our lives as they're eating away at our souls. And God, I, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit to bind up those things. I pray, God, in, a, in an act of physical and emotional and spiritual repentance as we turn from our seats this morning and go 180 degrees towards that back door that that is a walking away from the things that we leave in this place today. That God, you bind those things up, take them on yourself as you did on the cross and cleanse us from them. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place and pray that you will continue to work even as we leave here that we leave with that promise that you give to us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, God, and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen.